Hi, I'm Jason. I've had successes and what I felt like were epic failures. At each point, it was the people I walked with and learned from who helped me through. On my podcast, What Works, I interview authors, educators, executives, and people who work to change the world. I walk for a moment on their journey and learn from them. For me, that's what works. So Janice, Strategic Doing is your new book, Strategic Doing, 10 Skills for Agile Leadership. Now, I've been working my way through this book. I find it so fascinating because you're bringing up these topics around just getting things done in a uh, non-hierarchical, open, disconnected form where you've got a number of stakeholders who are all part of a process. But it's not strategic planning. It's, it's, it's different from that. Can you give us an in-a-nutshell strategic doing? And I know it's trademarked even. What, what's so different about this? Strategic doing, really about the implementation of actions and how to make decisions um, and then take them into actions. Oftentimes in what we call a, like a horizontal leadership, where the people who are working on it don't necessarily report to each other. It could be in the same company. It could be cross companies. Uh, but how can they work together to make decisions that uh, meet goals that they've set for themselves? Okay. Now, Rena, you're, you are invited here too because you guys have known each other for a number of years and you've worked through some of the principles of this kind of in a past life. And then you've, you've moved on since to do, I think, a bit of research and then writing this, this book. And you're very instrumental in, I think, leading, uh, Leading a number of organizations as they as they work together in this community, uh, as uh, in your role at NIU. So tell us how do you how do you connect yourself to strategic doing, and how do you connect yourself to Janice? Sure. Well, um, Janice and I had an opportunity to work together here in the Rockford area when she was in her previous role with the Rockford Area Economic Development Council, and I'm leading NIU's Office for Regional Engagement in Rockford. So we identified a number of things that we could do together, and we used these principles for collaboration to get our teams moving and accelerating action. As you were mentioning before, strategic planning kind of does the thinking over here and the doing over here, and strategic doing puts them together. And so actually Janice was first and I soon followed with getting trained in strategic doing. We now are both fellows in strategic doing so we can do training. And so uh, we've had the opportunity to train people all over the country as well as having our own portfolio of projects that we do now in her new uh, community and I've been able to do here, uh, of course, working with a number of partners and NIU. Yeah. So strategic doing, was this a, was the, was the birthplace as you were working through some of these issues here regionally, is that is where strategic doing kind of got its formation, or was this before then? Or where? it's before then. Okay, it comes from one of the authors. The first author named is Ed Morrison, and he developed the concepts working uh, primarily in Oklahoma City and Shreveport, Louisiana, communities he had worked in before as a consultant, closing businesses down and you know moving them globally. And so he began to think about what was going to happen to communities when jobs left. Yeah, and so he came up with this process uh, over a period of, uh, he's been incubating it for about 20 years to the book uh, date. And he worked in Oklahoma City, and he then uh, worked it also in Charleston, South Carolina. And then he moved uh, to Purdue University 10 years ago, and it's been uh, moving forward there. Uh, they did a very large uh, WIRED grant, which was a workforce grant, using this methodology, and uh, got a phenomenal number of results, much more than any other community that got a WIRED grant. Uh, so he developed it into a process. As Rena said, she and I joined 
the strategic doing development team. And uh, over the last four or five years, we've really uh, moved it into a structured way to teach people uh, so that people can learn it. And then uh, a lot of strategic doing is done through workshops. Okay. And a workshop may take a half a day or a day where we take people through the 10 rules and they um, learn how to make decisions at each step along the way and end up with an action plan that they've all agreed on that they're going to go do. Okay. So these 10, these 10 rules or these 10 skills, I, I love how you, you, you laid those out as a action plan because I think a lot of times there are different methodologies to work through strategic planning and then you end up with this plan and then everybody's like, okay, now what? All right. Well, good luck. Let's hey, let's start implementing, right? And then immediately people started going to their different, you know, their different silos or their different organizations and start it, kind of haphazardly implementing things. And so it's kind of no wonder that the plans don't actually lead to implementation. But like what you talked about, if you, in these skills, you, you you align these skills with this this process of working together and not just planning, but iteratively planning. It seems. One of the, uh, if I if I just look at, at some of these uh, the skills that are outlined in here, uh, they seem super practical, which I lo- I love because a lot of a lot of planning seems like okay that's that's neat but not super practical. This is create and maintain a safe space for deep fo- deep focused conversation. I love that idea of safety. Without that safety, it seems you can't get you can't get the real stuff on the table, and if you can't get the real stuff on the table, then there's always something hiding, hiding behind a door that right. you don't know about. That oh my gosh, this came out you know six months or six years later. No wonder things didn't move forward. What it seems, you know, beginning with that process of safety, it seems like these skills have a a, a good deal of respect for the people part of of getting stuff done. Is that? Is that a kind of a correct assumption? You've got a you're kind of really not not necessarily overweight, but maybe properly weighted on the fact that stuff gets done via people, not just getting stuff done. Right. So the the basis is that we will we will uh, act in ways of mutual trust, and uh, we use a lot of civility um, thinking in what we do. We uh, Dr. Forney out of uh, John Hopkins wrote a book called 25 Rules of Civil Behavior, Behavior, and we use that. And that creates this basis where we're not, uh, when we're in a meeting, uh, we don't sit there and say, well, you know, the mayor's an idiot, the head of the chamber, you know, is just resting till they retire. We don't allow that conversation to take place. We won't move forward if we're having those kinds of conversations with each other. We will move forward when we say things like, well, what would it look like if our downtown was vibrant? Imagine people came downtown every Friday night. What would that look like? What could we do together? And then the idea of using these 10 skills is to co-create this new world together. So we're not asking anyone to take anything away from what they're doing today. We're asking them to share their resources, their assets, in a new way that would co-create that future. And is that part of, is that part of the identifying your assets, including the, the hidden ones? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see that at play? Yeah, I would say that I, I find it to be, it's appreciative, it's built on appreciative inquiry. What do we have that we can build on? And it's empowering. So we're talking about linking and leverage our existing resources. So if we were to get around a table and figure out what our action plan was going to be, we don't allow people to say, oh, if only we had money, if only we had so-and-so here. We say, what do we have? Yeah. And what can we get started 
with the people and the resources that we have. And of course, there are networks out there. So you say, I, you know, I know I can get so and so to help, or I know I can get some resource. You have a lot of confidence that you can bring that to the table, but we don't allow people to kind of, um, have anything where they're asking for permission. Today, we're going to come up with something that we can actually direct and we can go out and start doing immediately. And so accelerating that action is key. And is it also this this concept of an abundance mindset rather than a mindset of limitations? Yes, like, absolutely. Like, oh, here's all the ways, you know, woe is me. These are all the ways we can't get stuff done, which seems like it's uh, the, that idea of whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if, you, if you already think you're limited, well, yes. oh, great. Well, then all you see is your constraints. Right. Rather than... The, rather than I, I, I think of this idea that the, the rules are just made up. The rules by which we operate today were made right. by people. Maybe, maybe they were us, but, but it could have been just people like us one day sitting around a table, right? And, and they made up the rules by which we operate. Right. So what, what says, or who says that we can't also now create new rules of operating yeah. and ways of getting things done? Is that, is that kind of uh, a thread that, that runs its way through strategic doing? Well, in it, uh, once we share assets, we ask four questions. What could we do yeah. with those assets? How could we combine them in new ways? Uh, in ways that would uh, help us achieve this vision we have for the future, what we've imagined the world to be. Then we ask ourselves, well, what should we do? Because we need to begin to make choices. And we, we teach people how to make choices using um, uh, kind of a two-by-two two format. What's going to have the biggest impact and be the easiest to do? Let's start there. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the logical order of how something starts, but we'll start with that one. Then once we know that, well, what will we do? What will each of us do to advance this? And then we have a feedback mechanism every 30 days getting together and moving that project forward. So we build the project around those four questions. And coming to the conclusions of what should be done, that's, that's sometimes where, uh, where people get stuck. Organizations get stuck because I've got my vision, you've got your vision, you've got your vision. And, you know, naturally I think my vision's pretty right, and naturally you think your vision's pretty right. And yet they eventually gotta get something done. How do you, how do you boil all that stuff down to get to this point where you could even throw it on that two by two matrix? Sure. Well, um, one thing to say to that is that we are trying things and we're getting together every 30 days to say, okay, um, when we're meeting, we're going to come up with what we're going to do for the next 30 days to move toward our ultimate goal. So in 30 days, we're going to say, okay, how did that go? And so it's, you know, we're not really experimenting. We're trying things. And then in 30 days, we'll say, what did we learn? Do we need to, need to adapt? Or yeah, we're headed in the right direction. Great. How do we build on that? And what do we do as the next step? So uh, again, I think that is empowering and it's helping people kind of establish a habit of collaboration and also testing things. Going back to the idea of strategic plan, a strategic plan, a lot of times, you know, people are like, okay, here it is. We put all this effort into it. And then you check in what a year later. So if 30 days in, this plan is not going the way it is, well, too bad. Maybe 12 months from now, we'll figure it out. And for this, it's like, okay, we're headed in this direction. In 30 days, we're going to figure out, you know, is this still the right direction? Things change so quickly that, you know, the context changes in 30 days. And, hey, we need to turn left now instead of turning right. And this process allows you to do that. I think it was Jeff Bezos with Amazon who talked about one of the one of one of the things that he believes is the mark of a great leader is a person can change their mind 
from day to day or hour to yes. hour. I was so convinced of this thing yesterday, and then I received new information, right? And I came in with an entirely different uh, opinion or entirely different decision tomorrow. Right. And that, this seems to respect that process instead of laying out like, well, here's our ten year plan. Well, right. good luck. The world's a different place in one. Right or three or five or much less ten, and maybe that ten-year plan doesn't make any sense anymore. But right. How, so how do you keep an eye on how do you keep an eye on the the big goals out there without uh, without changing those unnecessarily or getting getting continual discussions wrapped up in there, but still keep that fluidity in between? Well, the the we start with a framing what we call a framing question, okay. and and that's the big question. So people get aligned around that question first. The, the question for um, where I'm at in the Shoals is, what would it look like if we were a digital, robust hub? What would that look like? Uh, di- digital technology hub. In uh, Milwaukee, it's, uh, they created, what would it look like if we were the freshwater capital? You know, what would that look like? What could we do? And here in the uh, Rockford area, we were working on making uh, Rockford America's best mid- Midwest aerospace community. There's an exercise in there where people are saying, well, this is what it's going to look like when we finish this step. It's going to look like this. We're going to see people doing this. We're going to be excited about that. And that keeps people aligned. The process has aligning mechanisms along the way uh, so that when we get to the action plans, everyone is excited to take an action. And the actions aren't assigned. People are volunteering to do the actions. So it, it puts more onus on people. And our tenth um, skill is your, the skill of nudging others in a way to, and, and so people feel fine with nudging. Yeah. And, and that, um, they know, don't feel fine, fine being told what to do or, you know, necessarily being called to account in front of a, yeah, uh, you know, in front of a committee, especially when there's no hierarchy. Like, well, I don't actually report to you. We're just kind of in this together. So who are you to call me out? Right? People rebuff against that, and all of a sudden you've broken the team dynamic. So you've got, I, I love that idea. The, uh, yeah, it was the 10th skill in there, uh, with nudge, connect, promote, which is, in this, this I found was really great phrasing to reinforce new habits. Because maybe, maybe people aren't accountable, not because they can't be accountable, maybe because there was the habitually in their organization where they currently exist, there is no accountability. And it's just habitual. They didn't even know it. They didn't recognize it that they weren't accountable. They thought they were doing the right thing. And then in this in this grander scheme, where now we have account cross accountability towards some great goal, you've got it. You even outlined a process for well. Here's how to nudge. Here's how to nudge them along. Move them in into the person they want to be. Yeah. Right. right. And for a lot of people, some of these steps are new to them. So helping them get to accomplishments, so then you can go from smaller steps to larger steps. We're building through this system of taking step by step every 30 days, we're building trusted networks. And that trusted network can take on a bigger and bigger task. So do you start then with something small to start gaining that trust? Or how do you gain trust throughout a larger network of people who naturally don't trust each other? Right. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, uh, Ed Morrison has been in communities where there is very little trust. So that's why this idea of civility becomes so important from the beginning that, uh, you know, we are going to behave in ways that build trust and mutual respect. And so, uh, you know, 
it depends on context, you know, uh, what's going to happen. But I think a lot of this comes back to a compelling framing question so that people, they're going to do their part because they believe in where you're headed. And what is, so give us an example of what the, what that framing question is, because you, I, you talk about it in here, but the idea of coaching even is I'll ask the right questions to find the right answers. So how do you get to this, this framing question that is of, uh, important enough or agreeable enough for a community to come together? Well, when I, when we start to work with a organization or a community or, or a group of people who are trying to make change, a lot of times when we start the conversation, it's a very problem-focused conversation. We don't have. Okay. This is this rate is too high. This right. rate is too low. Which is that limitation? It's that defici- deficit okay. gap analysis, which is very traditional strategic planning thinking. And we want to turn that using appreciative inquiry into uh, more of an opportunity statement. What would it look like if we were the premier place for X? Then people begin to think more deeply about things we could do. And then we take the assets they have and say, well, what could we do with what we have to to meet this um, question that we've just set up? You know, what would it look like if Rockford was Mid-America's best aerospace city? What would that look like? What could we do? And uh, when we started with those questions in, in Rockford, uh, the need for engineers was important to several of the employers. And that drove the conversation about what can we do with the higher educational institutions and the employers to improve the situation. And uh, Rena led the project of having NIU and RVC come together on engineering and engineering being here in, in Rockford. And uh, all of that came from that conversation of what would it look like if we were America's Mid-America's best aerospace city. If we hadn't asked that question, we might not have seen that. We might just have seen a deficit. Uh, you know, and when we went to RVC, their, the, their engineering program was actually in decline. You know, and so they saw it as a deficit. And we, now it's flipped around and it's a growing program. You work in, you work across, uh, organizational boundaries. Yes. Routinely. Yes. I, mean, I love should, being a boundary spanner. <laughs> it is kind of one of the tenets of your role. But you just gotta be able to move across yes. boundaries smoothly. Right. What do you, do, what do you say or how do you, how do you respond? And I know it's a skill. Or how have you learned to respond to folks who just can't seem to get on board with this idea of the, the glass is half full. We have more opportunity ahead of us if we see it that way instead of just bemoaning the things that we don't have. How do you how do you work through that? Well, I, I think it is setting a vision that everybody can get behind, creating this shared vision. And when people want to kind of, you know, go back to the problem statements and things like that, you know, we have this little great graphic that we use in training that um, our actions will go in the directions of our discussions. Okay. So if you're totally, you know, talk about problems all the time, it's, you know, you're not really going anywhere. But if you flip that, as Jana said, into opportunity statements that, okay, um, we've got this issue. Well, wow, we have all these industries here. You know, they're all stepping up and saying we want to be part of this. So we were able to come up with a collaborative workforce development solution. It's community-based, industry-integrated. Everybody's on board. We still meet on a weekly basis three years later wow. because everybody is so bought into that vision. And, you know, we have this habit of collaboration. We have trust built. 
We can resolve conflicts, you know, as things come up. Okay, let, let's work through this, sure. you know. Um, we have shown that we're able to do that, and now we're identifying other ways that we can collaborate. So I do think that collaboration is a habit that you can build. You can get better at it. And, um, you know, uh, Janice changed the culture of the organization that she led here. That, you know, she said, no, no, you know, we're going to be civil. We are going to talk about opportunities and totally flipped it. And I think that we as a community can do a better job of that. And and that's what this really presents an opportunity as we get more people trained, as more people read the book, as you talk as our ambassador yeah. around about, hey, you got to read this book. Um, we want people thinking this way. Yeah, absolutely. These are this, a lot of these principles I found myself as I was reading through this book. Like, okay, yeah, some of these principles are, are have been taught in kind of disparate disparate ways. You know, like uh, the you know how to how to be a better manager, you could have these types of things, and how to be a better leader, you could have these types of things. How to be a better communicator, these types of things. You've kind of distilled this down into something that's super practical. I love the I love the um, I I love the the length of the book. I'm not a big book reader because I I read slowly, and so I've easily become discouraged. But it's written in such a practical way. Uh, that you you actually can go to one of these sections and say, you know what, I, what is this thing about nudging? And you walk away with something brilliant about how to communicate with in in a otherwise maybe frustrating scenario. Like, ah, this person isn't. I feel like this person is responding. Well, here's the way. Here's some tender ways to nudge a person because they actually do want to respond, right? And you and you have this appreciation for the person behind behind it as well. I just love how it all comes together. How was the process for you? In in having this book come together, did, was that a process of strategic doing? I mean, you've got a, you've got a handful of voices in here. Absolutely. So you know, of course, it's a book about collaboration. So you really need a collaboration <laughs> to write the book. You know, right. it can't be one person telling you how. And uh, it's not really only the voices of the five people who wrote the book, but other voices because Rena was interviewed for the book, and other people were interviewed so that we got their stories correct for the book. Uh, but it was a team basis. We went on a writing retreat. We each took different chapters. People asked me, what chapters did you write? And I, I really can't remember because then the book came together and we worked with each other's chapters. Uh, and then uh, one person took on the task to try to one voice it. Hmm. But our goal when we wrote it was that each chapter could stand on its own. So if someone wa- wanted to go in and work on one chapter, because it's very difficult to think you're going to be a person that's going to excel at all ten skills. Right. So maybe you want to go in and work in one skill area and get into the book and do that. And so that's why it's written the way it was. Uh, we wrote it with the end in mind. We had a word count goal uh, because of uh, how business books are. Right. And uh, I like you, like a business book to be under 200 pages. <laughs> because then it's an yeah. afternoon read or an evening yep. read. It's not, it's an airplane read. Right. Uh, and I won't be And some of these things don't have to be said over and over again. I mean, it's like, these, you know, we, we kind of know them. At a certain level, you kind of just know things, right? It becomes part of you. And this mm-hmm. just adds yeah, so on top. That's how it came together. All right. And we've uh, started our work on our second book, so. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, we won't give the we won't give the spoilers. Okay, wait, I won't, but we'll I won't even ask you because yeah. because I'm I'm sure you can't. So this, this uh, there are a handful of things that stood out to me, um, in in my own words. And this correct me if this doesn't sound right to you, but this is skills to work with people in distributed collaborative environments, minimizing siloing, encouraging openness, also getting something done. The the other thing it talked about, and I and I appreciated about it, is it's not just it's really not just for organizations of 
uh, of massive size or necessarily across a lot of boundaries, this can be distilled. I mean, not, these, these are principles just for working with people in general. Like if you want to work with a person in general, you, you could probably, you could probably take all of these skills and just be a better person, a better individual just working together. Is that something you consciously saw in this or, 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 or not so much? The, the way we wrote the book was to the individual. Uh, and, uh, so that individuals could, could practice these skills because we, we have had people ask us how to do that. And so that's how the book was written. Um, the book comes from workshop trainings that we do. And uh, when you come to our two-and-a-half-day workshop training, we're really teaching you how to work with a group of people using these ten skills. Uh, but because uh, the book is an individual sale, it went to an individual person. And it was interesting to us how the skills translated so quickly from the ten rules to the ten skills. The other thing I saw... I'm sorry, did you have to say I, I just want to give you yeah, a little please. example of yes. how this applies in other areas. Um the Northern Illinois uh, Center for Nonprofit Excellence, NICNI at NIU, we have classes in leadership development. I spent an afternoon with the class that I was teaching talking about strategic doing. And uh, one of the people in the class, at the end of the class, came up to me and he said, um, I-, I can't believe this has happened. This is so fantastic. I'm on my way to a church meeting. We're really suffering. We're really struggling right now, trying to figure out how to get our church back on track. And he said, I had no idea what we're going to do tonight. And now I know how I'm going to approach this. So I said, well, tell me, you know, let's, so we quickly came up with his framing question. Okay. And so the next class he came in and he was just thrilled. He said, I, you know, I, I know I probably didn't do everything right. I haven't done all the training. He said, but I came in with the framing question and he said, we sat down, we talked about it. We came up with ideas and just a few of these simple principles. He was thrilled and it really worked for him, you know? So I, I was just delighted to hear that story. That's awesome. It's 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 fun to have, to have come upon this stuff and then see it so practical in its working out. Yes, it's not it's not one of those things. It's like okay, great. Well, if I practice things this stuff for the next five years, well, maybe I'll yes. maybe I'll be really great at this. These are practical things you can do right now. The other thing that struck me about this book is a lot of leadership books are written to this uh, to the concept, or maybe people just perceive it as a concept of of there's the leader and then there's everybody else, which then you naturally have a hierarchy of people who are expecting to be told what to do, maybe begrudgingly, and then you have the leader who feels like this, there's this weight of the world, right? And I shall stand before the people and and decry from on high, right? And yet this book is more written to, as you said, it's to everybody, and and, and everybody is the leader of their own space. And so this idea of the... Well, I think you mentioned in here that, you know, you... Everybody, it's, it's okay for everybody to come to this space with, I've got two things in my hand. I know that we need 10 or more. I'm not even sure, but I got these two things. What do you have? And what do you have? And that works across the entire organization. I think it's John Maxwell who talks in the book, three, the 360 degree leader, this idea of how do you lead from within an organization all around you? That's the principles that you've set up in here as well. Is, is it that Absolute, true? Absolutely. Uh, uh, we went to uh, another community wanted us to come and talk to them about what we were doing in our community, the Shoals, why we were getting all these results. And yeah. so we came and we presented, you know, and the first question was, who's in charge? And we're like, uh, well, we are. We just told you we are. No, no, like, who's in charge? Like, if you mean somebody, like, is a boss, no, we don't have that. Well, 
what is this thing? It's it's a movement. We said it's not. Yeah. Orga- we don't see it. We are our own organizations, but we don't need to create a third organization. It's really horizontal thinking uh, across uh, talent, across assets, and combining them in a new way uh, that that group has decided that they agree they're going to do. Uh, and that we don't need an organization to do it. We just can share our assets and make things happen uh, on the behalf of the community. So the next question that would be then, if, 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 if that's the structure of the organization, who speaks? Who leads the discussion? You mean if we're meeting with people? We just, we divide it up each time. Who wants to do it this time? And people get, just like with those 10 skills, people get specialties when they're yeah. running a session. They, they gravitate. Oh, I, me? I like to do the question. You know, some people like to pull out assets from people. And some people like the action planning part. Let's, let's get that pulled together. And actually, in the process, we do identify what we call a table guide. So it's not a facilitator, certainly not a neutral convener, but really somebody who's helping to guide the discussion. Because oftentimes, especially if we're doing something in an afternoon, it's like, okay, everybody, we've got 15 minutes for this piece. So we got to keep everybody on track. Then we also have sitting at the table a knowledge keeper, not a note taker. You know, somebody who's really pulling the essence and making sure that we're, you know, collecting everything. Because when we talk about what could we do, we have kind of this whole horizon of things, you know, that we could possibly do. Then we're going to have to say, what what could we do? Uh, what should we do? And then what will we do? But there might be some really cool stuff that we, you know, want to do later that's on the brainstorm from, uh, you know, the initial conversation. So there is some of that. But in terms of who speaks for the collaborative, there isn't, uh, unless the group says, you know what, Janice is going to be the best at really presenting for us. So, you know, Janice, will you please serve in that role? Otherwise, there isn't any of this uh, kind of like, you know, you're not allowed or you must. It is the group deciding, you know, how we want to communicate. Okay. That's, it's a, it is a unique, it's a unique way, I think, of interacting with people that I think might be, like you talk about, in these, in these organizations that are so habitually ingrained in hierarchies. It must come from left field. Well, and, you know, I was in corporate uh, jobs most of my career. And so the beginning of learning this was hard. And it took me a lot of practice uh, to uh, understand how to work this way versus, uh, you know, there are places for hierarchical work. Yeah. So we, we when we think of questions, we think of two kinds of questions, technical questions and adaptive questions. And so if it's a technical question, uh, quite often the hierarchy takes over and, um, you know, we're going to fill the potholes on the street. We know how to do it. We got the machinery. We got the people. Just deploy them, right? But if the question is, what, um, what would it look like if we had the most compelling infrastructure? Well, we don't know the answer to that question and there's not just one answer. So we need to deploy people to create an answer that are also going to implement the answer. And so strategic doing works best with adaptive questions, questions that don't have easy answers and have many answers. And oftentimes the people who are pulled together to answer that question don't work for each other. And that's what's happening more and more in uh, industry, in communities, in government, in institutions uh, like the universities we work at. Uh, more, You rarely go in and have a meeting that's just a hierarchical-controlled meeting. Mm-hmm. One one final question, and there's as, as I was reading through this, and there's so much I'd love to pull out, uh, but there, you you talk about outcomes, 
And there was a terminology, there was a phraseology around this idea of outcomes. And I, I always think, well, measurable outcomes. But this, the terminology using here is, is, uh, outcomes with measurable characteristics. What's the difference and why'd you phrase it that way? Uh, it's if when we're taking people uh, through a part where we want them to describe, so if they pick a project that they're going to work on that they think manifests itself in answering the framing question, uh, let's say they want to do, um, uh, uh, business pitch contest. So, um, okay, well, now describe that. What's it going to look like? Uh, to, and what, what's it going to feel like? And then how would you measure that? And we find that much more engaging than just going straight to a numerical measurement. Because then they're driving for, well, it looks like we have um, some really interesting ideas from a diversity of people in our community. And that the room is full of people who are excited about it, and that maybe some investors are in the room too. So they describe the scene, and then we'd say, okay, well, what can we measure from that scene? And we find that to be a lot, uh, it's very exciting for people. Because then they have cleared, clearly aligned themselves, we're heading there, we're going to make this happen. And when they get together in 30 days, they test, are we still on that? What's changed about that? And if, if something's changed, what do we have to change um, to keep, keep pace with? Gotcha. So it's breaking down the, uh, in this case, let's say if we want to have a successful pitch competition. Like if you ask people, well, what have, well I want to be successful. Yeah, okay, well, what's that mean? You're asking them to break that down into, into those different characteristics, and then how are you going to measure each of those characteristics? So each one of those characteristics can kind of move independently of one another, and you can reassess them to determine whether that does that move us towards the ultimate goal that we're asking us, that we want to collectively achieve. In returning to your point about the individual, uh, this asks people to say, what are individuals going to experience? What's it going to feel like for them walking into that pitch competition? What do we want them to feel when they're walking out the door? You know, So uh, that, I, I do think, goes back to the idea of, it's a benefit to the community. It, it's, you know, a larger goal that we're all trying to achieve together. But the individual has agency. The individual brings something to the table and everyone has their part to play, no matter where they are in the organization, no matter what role they play in the community. It's such a fascinating, it's such a fascinating, I think, timely um, concept. It seems that at this point, uh, and I, you know, I, I ha- don't have the, uh, luxury of having lived at a different time. <laughs> so I don't really know, but it seems like the world is at a place. And you kind of mentioned it here where there's this, uh, there's this feeling of opportunity. There's this feeling of we could change things. There's a feeling of things could be different. We have now, I think, a communication mechanisms that enable us to communicate much, much more widely and, and faster than we've ever been able to before. So we've gone are these times, you know, I think you talk in the book where you have this little city, you know, sitting in its own isolated t- area that has no knowledge or care, you know, about this other city that's 100 miles to the east. Now it's everybody's interconnected to everyone. And now everybody also wants to achieve and do great things and change things. And there are real needs in the world. And this lays the framework, uh, it seems, for all that while respecting that everybody's everybody's just at the root of it, a person. And we happen to exist in organizations that would not exist if it weren't for the people. I find that so fascinating. So one of the things that we do want to, we all, we ask people on this idea of what works. And it's a totally open-ended question. 
and it's designed to be that way. And I know, and it doesn't mean to put people on the spot because there's no right answer. I think. Right. Uh, but the question would be for each of you: What works? Who who wants to go first? What works? What works is bringing people together, allowing everyone to have an equal voice, um, expecting good things from one another and from your community, and taking an appreciative mindset to opportunities that are ahead of you. Thank you. Uh, what works is uh, allowing people to uh, share their own assets at the time they want to share them uh, and co-creating something and and giving them a process to move it forward to success and watching how uh, pleased and proud they are that they were able to accomplish this um, without waiting uh, for them to do something. That's awesome. Thank you. So Strategic Doing, 10 Skills for Agile Leadership. Uh, where can a person pick up this book? Uh, anywhere online or any major bookstore. Awesome. And if they want to get involved, you talk about these workshops, if they want to get involved maybe to move their organization or their communities forward, where do they go for help? Uh, we have a website, strategicdoing.net, and uh, on there tells you where, where you can t- get training, and it has a list of different um, strategic doing practitioners uh, that are certified, like Nina and I, that you could engage uh, to help you in your community. Fantastic. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this rollout. It's it's really fantastic, and I'm uh, I'm I'm loving what you've written. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. If you know a person working to change the world who would be a great guest on the What Works podcast, contact me, Jason at the Real dot com. <laughs>